morning. I'm Yvonne, and I would like to invite you all to stand with us as we read Scripture today. Our Scripture today comes from Matthew 12, 38 through 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment and with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Father, with all our praise and thanksgiving, we humbly come into your presence this morning. As we lay aside all other thoughts and busyness, tune our hearts, our spirits to your own and our hearts to receive your word. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. Um, just going to go ahead and throw it out there. We should start fasting and praying about maybe relocating this church to the beach or the mountains because that's where everyone is at. We're praying for them today, all those sinners, we sinners here in this building. So my name is Matt, I'm the pastor here, and uh, we're in a sermon series that's kind of a break from our long-term walk and march right through the book of Revelation. So I'm glad you guys are here for this, uh, this summer series. Uh, we're in a sermon series called Story Matters, um, and, and that's where we're, we're taking kind of the break to get into church members sharing the story of God in their life. Uh, these, not, these are not church members uh, getting up to, to share their biography. There's a difference between a biography and a testimony. Everyone has a biography that's a story of your life, and it centers around you, who you are, where you've been, where you come from, what you've done, what you're going to do, that sort of thing. But a testimony is something specific for a Christian, which is their biographical story with Jesus at the center, with Christ at the center. So it's not only simply my life, but what has God done? Who is Jesus in my life? What has he said? What has he accomplished? And what has he done in me, to me, for me? And what has he done and wanting to do through me, right? And so but members of our, church is, of our church are sharing their testimonies. Um, this is, there's, there is a link to the book of Revelation here for us, that the heart of Revelation, uh, the entire letter is, is Revelation chapter 12, where there are some who are pointed to by uh, John who says, like, these are those who have overcome the evil one. They've overcome the evil one, Satan. They've overcome and conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony of that blood, for they love not their lives even unto death. In 1 Peter 3.15, the people of God are not simply encouraged, but we are commanded. We're not simply commended, we are commanded to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' final, some of his final words to his people, and they are to us as well before he ascends to the Father, is go forth throughout all the world. Go Everywhere, as you go in the world that I've given to you, in the life that I've given you to live, you are to be my witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They bear testimony. 
They tell the story. They simply tell the truth about who and what they've seen regarding Jesus Christ. Uh, and so uh, we are in week two. We, we have a brother coming up uh, on the video screen. His name is Jeremy Delk. He's going to share his his testimony. My job for these, uh, for these few weeks is just to get behind these brothers and sisters and push. Just get behind them and push. They're, they're trying to serve and love the church. Some of them are not one, like what you would call like, you know, extroverts. They're, most of these folks are not people like, with it, like my mom's giving a, a testimony. Her video is going to be here in a few weeks. She's like pretty much the only one who like besides me goes, oh, you want someone to speak? I'll do it. What do you want to speak about? Two minutes? Sure, I'll come up with something. The rest of them are people who are like, I'm not so sure I want to get in front of people. I'm not so good with the talking. In front. And so we put them on video, and they were very kind and brave to share their, their testimony. So I just want to get behind them and push to help them uh, and serve you by extending and deepening what they're saying and to show you how in their, in their own shorthand that they're, they're telling you the truths of God from his word. So um, I'm, I'm going to open the Bible after they speak, right? So essentially, I'm treating these testimonies uh, in, in this way. For these are they're kicking doors open for then me to come and go. Let's open the Bible, like intentionally, purposefully, specifically, and and just take some time and go. This is this is where they're getting this from. This is this is the truth. This is not simply their viewpoint. This is not simply their their own personal experience. This is. This is the word of God in their life that they're trying to offer to you so that you might have the word of God in your life. So for these, for these weeks, I'm just urging you to listen to these brothers and sisters as they tell you the good news about Jesus. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Jeremy Delk. Jeremy and his wife, Erica, they're community group leaders in our church. Uh, they serve on the host team, uh, and Jeremy is now overseeing our once-a-month men's group. We call the BGA, the back grilling area. That's one, the final Sunday of the month, which is, by the way, today. So if you are a man here, uh, whether you're new or been here for a long time, young or old, uh, just that is an open invitation. I, we, we want you men to, to show up. If you want those details and like where to go and what time, you come see me after service, and I, will, I would love to have you join us. But Jeremy's now overseeing that, lining up brothers who are going to their, share their uh, testimonies and devotionals and, and things of that nature. Um, Jeremy is the most confessionally honest man I know, most confessionally honest person I know. This is a brother who is a role model. He is like just a top-tier elite example of what it's like to not wait to be caught in something or exposed or cornered, but this is a man who by God's grace and power and his, just this is the kind of level of confidence and courage he has in Jesus and salvation. Grace is that he he brings what is dark of his life into the light, looking and trusting in the Lord to continue and continue and continue to restore him. One of the most confessionally honest men, and uh, I know he's sincere, he's generous, kind, hardworking, humble, soft-spoken, brave. He loves Jesus. He loves the Lord. He uh, he has the spiritual gift of tears. If you know Jeremy. Uh, he cries when he prays. He cries when he reads and talks about the Bible. He cries when he sees and feels the grace and power of Jesus. He weeps with those who weep. He, he laughs with tears of joy. Uh, this guy, has, he's, he's got a blue-collar job of welding and building and wiring. Uh, he's an expert bow hunter. He's lean, and he's slim and muscly. Uh, he wears an awesome cowboy belt buckle. 
He's got movie star looks and a brave and gentle soul. His Bible is falling apart, and therefore his life probably won't. And uh, he's married to a gorgeous and godly Canadian who also loves Jesus. So I, I want you to listen and watch his video testimony. I want you to trust him. I want you to do what he says in his, in his testimony to you. He's, he's serving you. So let's watch that, and then I'll return to you. So I grew up in the church. My uh, parents both served in the church, served in the choir. My grandfather was the music ministry, and so I was there every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time the doors were open, I was there. Um, my parents were uh, very good examples to me and how um, the picture of Christ and they always shared the gospel with me. They always taught me about Jesus, about God, and brought me up a, a good kid. Um, I was led to the Lord at a very young age. Um, I knew who God was, but still didn't know who he was in my, my heart. Um, yeah, so growing up, I just, I was just a good kid, had good morals, all the way up through high school. After high school, um, I started partying a lot, hanging out with the wrong crowds. Um, I would attend church, attend is the key word there, and um, most of the time I was probably hungover, sitting there on Sunday morning not really listening, saying my prayers at night and not really having a walk or relationship with the Lord. So I was going to church but um, and attending youth groups. And there were times when I was drinking out back at the youth group before or after it started. wasn't really getting much out of that. I was there to meet girls, uh, like any boy my age. That was the main thing on my mind. Well, I started through dating. Um, I started putting too much uh, hope and trust into those relationships. Um, my girlfriends became my world. Um, they became my identity and without them when I went through a breakup it just crushed me. Um, that kind of that kind of started my my leading into my addiction um, after high school my relationships with my Girlfriends started becoming more of a relationship that wasn't glorifying to God. Started getting more, more inappropriate as I was looking for for comfort and hope, uh, looking looking for someone to love me uh, and love me for who I was. I was engaged to a girl for a few years, and 
relationship started coming to an end. I had a huge decision to make on whether to stay or not. Um, and I just, I didn't know what to do. I remember being in my room on my knees, crying out to God, asking him to, to help me make a decision. So God, give me, give me a sign on what I should do, whether I should stay or go. I prayed after that. I grabbed my Bible. I just randomly opened it up and asked God to just show me words, show me my sign. And opened up to Matthew 16, randomly. As I started reading, Jesus was approached by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they were asking him to give them a sign from heaven. Jesus replied to them. He said, you can, you can understand the signs of the, the skies. You can, you can predict the weather, basically. But you can't understand the signs of the times. So he, he said that I will not give you a sign except for the sign of Jonah. And then he turned and, and walked away and left them without. After I read that, I was just floored. Here I was asking for a sign from God, randomly opened the Bible, and he lands me on the page where people are asking for a sign, and, and he says, I will not give you a sign. I got to thinking about the sign from Jonah and how he, he ran from the Lord. He, he did what God asked him to in a, in a way, but his heart wasn't there. And that reminded me a lot of my life and, and where I was at at that point. I was doing the right things, saying the right things, but I wasn't living a life glorifying to God. And so I still didn't have my answer on what I should do, except that I knew I needed to, to follow God. I needed to, to talk to Him and build a relationship with Him. And from that moment forward, I was, I was changed because up until then, I'd, I'd questioned God, questioned His existence, wondered if, if He was real, if He was really with me, if all the things I had learned up until that point were true. And by him speaking directly to me in a non-audible voice, but it was directly to me. I just, I never, to this day, I've never questioned again whether he exists or not, because to me, he did. He can't answer me that way with, without not being true. And I realized that the Bible was the living word. After that moment with God, I started realizing the sin in my life. God started revealing to me how, how I was living my life. God started revealing to me how I was living my life. I started to see the, the idolatry, the sin of drunkenness. Um, my eyes were opened at that point. That started me on a journey of actually walking with Christ. So I ended the relationship with that girl. 
felt that's what God was calling me to do and started moving forward. God led me to a church where I started growing. I became more involved uh, with the singles ministry. I started building a relationship with God. And at the same time, I started meeting men who were suffering through the same problems, same issues, and we started growing together. I started trying to tackle those issues, but still was, I was drinking milk, like Paul says. I was basically a brand new Christian, even though I've been raised in church all my, my life. Soon after that, I, a few years later, I met a girl and ended up getting married to her. I married into a broken family with two kids. I still hadn't overcome my complete, I still hadn't overcome my desire to make women my idol. I struggled with that. And as the, a few years into our marriage, it just became toxic. I wasn't putting my eyes on God the way I should. I wasn't leading my family as a, a righteous husband, a, a leader. And eventually that relationship ended in divorce and I had rock bottom. The decisions I had made, the sin in my life, I was carrying the full weight on my shoulders. At first during that time, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how I felt. God felt about me. I was stripped of everything. I was stripped of my church, many of my friends, extended family, my wife and kids, and nearly lost my job. But during that time, I came to realize I was even working out of town in Arkansas. And I went from staying in a hotel with all the guys to moving to a ranch down by a river, the most perfect, beautiful setting you could think of. But I was alone. I had one other roommate with me. And God started revealing himself to me. He started opening my eyes to see that Yes, everyone was gone, but he was there. Other than my immediate family and, and close friends, God was the only thing I had in that moment. I started, I started growing from that point. Started reading my Bible more. I was praying more. And not just like I was previous in my life. I was really interested in knowing who God was. I was asked to read through the Gospel of John to see God through the life of Jesus. Up until that time in my life, I came up with this idea that God and Jesus were two different people. 
even though I knew about the Trinity, I knew they were the same, but I just saw God as this angry man up in the clouds that was just ready to jump on you at any moment, who was always upset with you and your sin and didn't love you. After I read through that, I, I had a new outlook on God. Later on in my life, going back to John, John 17, in Jesus' prayer, I noticed that towards the end of it, when he prayed, when he was, Jesus was praying to God, he was praying for us, and he asked God that we would know that we were, were one with God the way Jesus was one with God. Then he asked that we would know that God loved, that we would know that God loved us the way that God loved Jesus. That was just, after many times of being forward in my life, that really floored me to understand that God loved me, sinful me, who had always ran from him, who had always turned to, to sin, to women, to lust, to alcohol. God loved me. Jesus wanted me to know that. That was his prayer. And so my relationship just started changing and growing. Um, things were still hard. I went through two years of lingo before I was actually divorced, wandering back, back into a decision again. I didn't ask for a sign this time because I knew God's answer. He wanted me to just seek him. But I was okay. I was hurt and broken, but I was okay because I knew that God was with me. He had never left me during the whole time of my life. He had protected me so many times in my past when I should have gone to jail, when I could have been killed, um, when I could have done things worse than what I've was even allowed to do. God, I looked back and saw that God was protecting me and he was with me the entire time, holding me and guiding me along even though I was running the other way. I began to have a deeper understanding of who God is because he, I knew he was still there. I began to understand grace. I began to understand that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that he did die for my sins. I began to understand that God loved me because of that. And not only did he love me, he liked me. I understand that God liked me and that he was proud of me. Like a father is proud of his son, he was proud of me. And I started to see God as my father, not as some angry man up there. And the way we go to our fathers the way we go to our mothers I started going to God in those ways and feeling comfort from him in those ways God has really blessed me life's not perfect it's still hard and it still hurts but he's blessed me. I used to think that I I didn't deserve good things and he has given me the most beautiful loving wife I could ever ask for and he has given me such a peace through the hard times that 
I'm at a place now where all the pain, all the shame, all the bad decisions that I've made in my life, I wouldn't trade it for anything because God has used those things to grow me into the man I am today, to have a close walk and relationship with Him where I just have a confidence now. I have a peace. I feel secure and I just, I know that He loves me. I still struggle even to this day and I probably will the rest of my life. But now I know that I, I don't need to hold that shame and guilt anymore because Jesus, hey, Jesus held that shame and guilt on the cross. So now I ask for forgiveness, I repent, and I turn back to him and go at it again, ask for his strength. The one thing I would love for everyone to know and understand that I've learned in my life of what God's done for me is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are, that God can forgive that too. God is always with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And because of Jesus, he is died for all sins and all sins are forgiven. Well, uh, thanks to Jeremy and for Erica for letting him do that too. Um, what, what, a, what, a what a blessing, what a gift, how helpful. Um, I'm just going to tell you, um, I could pretty much preach the sermon that I preached last week through that one. I totally could. Uh, there, there's enough that our, 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 our brothers and sisters are, are sharing that, like, I could take these four videos and just, we could spend 20 weeks going through the things that they bring up and what the Lord says about it in his word. So I'll tell you what, I won't preach last week's sermon this week. That's online. Go to our website. You can go to the sermon area, and you can watch last week's testimony and sermon there. <clears throat> but Jeremy kicked open a door that I, I didn't really see until just a, a day or two ago, and so I have been scrambling to basically toss out much of what I'd already prepared and thought about earlier in the week when I saw his testimony. Uh, and so uh, that's what you have today. Uh, so much to say, grace, overcoming shame and sin, God's faithfulness, his approval on sinful people, and it's approval that has been won by Jesus Christ in spite of your shamefulness, your sin, your frailty, your futility, your, your fragility, your failure, right? And and he still has approval because when he looks at you, he, he sees his own son. He sees his child. There's so much there. Um, what I wanted to do was, um, was center on this night, what, I, what I'm calling the night of brokenness that Jeremy uh, uh, shared, uh, where, where he's just he's weeping, he's lost, he's broken, he's befuddled, and he asks God for a sign. All right, you guys remember that moment? He says, I, I asked God for a sign. What do I do with what do I do about this girl? What do I do about my job, all my sin? Uh, and he does what a lot of Christians have done. I, I know I have. What, what did he do? God, I need a sign. And then he takes the Bible and puts it on its spine and what? Foom, right? 
I'm going to just open to the, to the word, Lord, and just, <sighs> is that the answer, right? And, and like, I, I, it was just not hilarious because he, he was brokenhearted, but it would just been hilarious if it had opened to some place like Leviticus and what you're supposed to do if like a master knocks out his slave's donkey's teeth or something, right? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Is that my answer, right? We'll get more about that in a, in a few minutes. I, I want to take you to the place that, that Jeremy cited that he talked to, that the Lord brought him. And that's in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 38. You'll see it on the screen. There's this moment where some of the scribes and Pharisees, they, they responded to things that Jesus was saying. They answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Let me tell you who these people are who are asking for this. Uh, the scribes and Pharisees, they, these are people that throughout the Gospels, you'll see that they, they, are, they are religious Jewish people and leaders, and they are generally oppositional to Jesus. They're teachers, they're lawyers, they're religious people. The, the Sadducees would have been a group that <coughs> were very wealthy and influential religious people, uh, both socially and politically. And they're very well versed, well, very well versed in the Bible. Uh, and they're normally, most of the time, the interaction in the Gospels is they're, they're normally trying to trick Jesus to try to make him look bad and discredit him because they don't like this upstart rabbi from nowhere, the backwoods, and no one, no one appointed him, no one asked for him. Um, and, and by the way, we do know that at least some of them ended up converting to Christ. Some of these Pharisees end up converting to, to Christ and becoming Christians. That's Nicodemus and Joseph and uh, Saul, also known as Paul the Apostle. And, and so what's happening here is in the, in, in the book of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus has just healed a bunch of people uh, with unclean diseases, and he just drove a demonic spirit out of a man. And so th these Pharisees then claim that Jesus isn't actually doing the work of God. They make a wild and spurless claim. They say publicly, oh, he's just doing the work of Satan. Well, how did he do that? He drove, oh, he's doing the work. He's not of God. He's doing the work of Satan. The reason the demon obeyed Jesus when, he, when Jesus told the demon to get out, it was because like, the, the demon knew that Jesus is working for the big boss, Satan. Of course he can do that. That's their claim. And, and Jesus says that what they revealed in their hearts by saying that is unforgivable. He says, what you've revealed in your hearts is unforgivable. You, it, Jesus goes so far in Matthew chapter 12 to say, listen, there's going to be a bunch of people who make terrible claims and accusations, say the worst things about me. They're going to be forgiven. But there's, when you go after the Holy Spirit of God, my own spirit, and claim that he is in league with, and he is in partnership with the great enemy, Satan. You've shown that your heart is so hardened, your conscience is so seared that you can't be forgiven because, well, heck, you wouldn't even want forgiveness from me because you believe that I'm Satan, that I'm in league with him. It's unforgivable. So they ask for a sign, all right? These, these, these guys, they ask for a sign. They want to see with their own eyes. What do they want to see? They want to see a miracle. Jesus, do a trick. See, all these sinners, all these defiled people, all these poor people, all these outcasts, all these sinners, all this rabble, they've been talking. Like the stories are going around the land about, about these miraculous signs and wonders you've been doing. And you know what? So what, we've shown up. We, we, we want to see with our own eyes. If you really are from God, Jesus, if you really are the Messiah, 
If you really are, and we, then we would very much want to believe, to know, because, well, we can't believe that it's true and follow you if we're not sure, so we just, we just need you to do something. We need you to do a sign. Make a, make a disembodied hand, write a, write a message on a wall nearby. That's Daniel chapter 5. Well, uh, we, heard, we heard you can do, you got pretty good stuff with water. Can you turn some water into wine? It doesn't have to be high-end, Cab Sav. You can turn it into to white Zinfandel. That's okay. But, but just, we, we just want to see you do a trick. Maybe like there's, there's a pool of water over there. You want to you walk on it, do some burpees? Do a trick. Do a miracle. Give us a sign to show that you really do have this power because we'd very much like to believe you are the Messiah because we really sure could use the Messiah. We're the Jews. We're the Hebrews. We're the people of God, and we've been promised the Messiah. We could really use him right now. With the Roman occupation in our land, the, the, the Roman soldiers boot on our necks, subjugating us, subjugating our people, the trampling of our rights. We've lost a lot of rights. We can't worship and do the things we want. And not, we used to live in a free country, Jesus. We could use the Messiah to free us. The crushing burden of our taxes, rampant disease and death in the land. All these, all these Samaritans entering our lands illegally. They're filthy and immoral. The worst of the Samaritans are entering our nation now, and they're ruining and corrupting our society. So you know what? We could use a sign. If you say you really are the Messiah, if you really are who they say, give us a miracle. Prove to us that you really are God. And so, verse 39, but he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You need to understand that what they put forward as legitimate and reasonable request, Jesus calls wicked. He calls this sin. Give us a sign. Hey, if you really are, we just show us. You've shown all these other people. 5,000 people saw you take a kid's Happy Meal and break it apart and feed them. Uh, all these lepers over here, that they got to see you. You did the sign for them. Do the sign for us. We, we would like to believe too. And, and, and Jesus says what they're doing is wicked. Look at the first two statements he makes. You are an evil and adulterous generation. That's the first statement. And number two, because you are an evil and adulterous generation, you will get no sign except the sign of Jonah. What's he mean by evil and adulterous? What is, why won't they get a sign? Jesus has been working all sorts of signs and miracles all over the place, place, in the streets, in people's homes, at the seaside, at weddings, in synagogues, at the temple, and, and he's God. So it's, so it's not... It's not like he's out of miracle energy. He's not like a video game wizard and he's out of mana points, right? He's got to drink a potion so he can build up energy and do... No, no. He, he has all that he needs. Why do all the prostitutes and drunks and unclean lepers get to see these signs and wonders and miracles? All these cripples are getting the signs, all these poor people. In fact, Jesus has a despicable, traitorous tax collector in his inner circle of disciples and he has a front row seat to seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. His name is Matthew, the one writing this. He's a, he's a Jew who's in the employ of the Roman government 
taxing and robbing and stealing and crushing his own countrymen and neighbors, not only with Roman taxes, but also being permitted by the Roman government to take even more from his neighbors to become rich. Matthew is the worst. He is the worst. He gets to see these signs. Why do those sinful, gross, wicked people, those adulterous hookers, they're adulterers. We heard what you, you were at the, this well in this town. You hung out with a prostitute in town talking to her all morning. Why do they get signs but not us? We study the law. We study the Bible. We teach the Bible. We lead the Jewish people to worship and obey our Jewish God. We tithe, we pray, we read the Bible, we go to the synagogue, we go to the temple, we offer sacrifices. We don't, we don't violate the Sabbath. It's, they don't get signs because they're adulterous. Jesus will give them no sign because they, they, don't, they not only don't, don't believe him, but they won't believe him. They don't, they, they don't believe the sign that could be given because they won't believe. And they, do, they, they don't believe him because they won't. Because they don't actually want to. The Lord knows what is in the heart of men. This is John chapter 2. He knows what is in the heart of men. He knows, what is, he, he knows what's, what you're thinking and feeling. And these people, they don't want Jesus. They don't love him. They don't want to love him. And at best, if he were to wow them with a miracle or a sign, then he'd just become, at best, useful to them. He'd be useful to them. He'd become no better than any of the false pagan gods of other religions. He'd be, he'd be promoting a sort of witchcraft. I am God, and if, and, and if you want, I'll... I'll I'll be, the, I'll be the pinata of all your dreams and desires and needs, and you just hit me with your stick called prayer, and I'll be useful to you. It's because signs and wonders from God aren't, they're, they're not for people who need God to give them an answer about the future, about which job to take, or about how to get the house they desire, or if they should ask for a raise. The miracles from God aren't for people who need something from God. They're for people who, who know that they need God. That's who the miracles are for. So we just want to go back to Jeremy for a second. He's at a rock-bottom moment, the dark night. He's deep in sin and he's enslaving himself. He's, ensla- he's enslaving himself to the, to the idols, the, the, the false gods of alcohol. He's a functional alcoholic at that moment. And he's seeking salvation for his heart. He's looking for affection and approval and acceptance and love, which he desperately wants and needs rescue for his soul. And he's looking for that in physical pleasures with women, whether it's his fiance or the, the serialized number and long list of girlfriends he'd had before her. He's looking for all the things he needs and wants and desperately desires, comfort, relief from angst and pain and guilt. So I'll drink it away until I'm stupid and can't feel it or remember it. All the love and affection and approval I need, I'll, I'll, I'll find women who will give that to me. And he grew up in a Christian home. And he grew up in a Christian home. He grew, he grew up in the church. He'd read the Bible. He'd been going to worship services. Uh, the, the way our 
our church, our language, if you're, if you're going to spend any time around here, you'll, you'll, soon, you'll, you'll soon hear this and learn this because it drips from our kids' ministry director, Kate Montague, and, and, and Christian Wall, who prayed at the end of our VBS thing. I just love this. This is a language that just kind of hangs out, um, is that when we do ministry to our children, whether it's a mom and dad to their kids or here at the church, we know that we don't save them. Your kids won't become Christians because they grew up in your home and you dragged them to church. They're not going to be saved. They're not going to be Christians just because they're in the kids' ministry or they go to youth group. They're not. And we know that. We know we can't save them. What God has given to us, here's the language, what God has given to us is the ministry, the privileged burden of just gathering kindling around them because we know we can't start the fire. We can't set it ablaze. That's God's work. That's the Holy Spirit. So what we do is we just gather kindling around them, and then we pray constantly that the Lord would show up and turn it on, right? So he grew up in the church, but he's, he didn't have a relationship with God. He knew about God, but he didn't know God. He didn't know him. No relationship. On that night, Jeremy was broken, and what Jeremy, what he thought he needed and he did need, but what he thought he needed was a sign from God, a miraculous message from God, an undeniable answer from God about if he should marry this fiance, what he's going to do about his job, and how to get out of alcoholism and addiction. What, like, he's just burdened by, God, I need you to talk to me. Tell me what I'm supposed to do, because I'm trapped. And he hopes the Lord is going to give him the answer by letting the Bible fall open. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to go to God's word, right? Let me just say that that is not how the Lord wants us to handle his word. That's not how the Lord wants us to handle his word. Do you want God to speak to you? Do you want to know God's will for you? Well, his word is given to us so we may know his will. So we can have his heart and mind. But God's will for us is not a momentary will. It's not a will for this or that day, this or that circumstance. It's an ongoing day-by-day relationship will. It's a lifetime ongoing with me, God will. It's for you to know him day-by-day, following him in that Bible you open, constantly learning all the time and over time. And so it can become, man, listen, it can be dangerously, dangerously pagan to require of God that he speak to you in a special way by flopping the Bible open and expecting him to give to you what you want or need. That could be, that could be very dangerously pagan. Especially if you rarely open that word. Especially if you have no commitment or practice of looking to him in that word for your ongoing life. There is no relationship, but you, you show up there anyhow in the moment that he might become useful to you. Now listen, does God still let that work? Does he still graciously speak in that way? Lord, I really need to hear from you. I'm, I know I need to go to your word, and I open it all the time, but I just need to hear from you. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to be in my daily Bible reading plan, so just, huh. And he might, he may very well give you a good word that really is helpful to you in that moment. He clearly did that with Jeremy on that evening, but that is, that is not his normal way. His desired, 
normal manner of speaking and talking to you. And I dare say, I dare say Jeremy would probably tell you the same thing. I, I, I dare speak for him and say, um, Jeremy would probably go, yeah, that's not, that's, not, like, that's not a normative pattern. We probably like, shouldn't put that into practice. And I think he'd say that because Jeremy's Bible is open all of the time. His Bible is open all of the time. And he would say he rarely feels led to look for random passages to fulfill his spiritual need of the moment or of the day. Why? Because he's so often in God's word that God's word is now just kind of living in him. He now knows his father's mind. He knows his father's heart. He knows, what, he knows who his Jesus' his king is, and he knows what his kingdom is like, and he knows his commandments. He knows the path of life because he, he knows he doesn't just have the Bible. He's, he's got the God of the Bible that he's living with day by day. <coughs> and so Jeremy asked for a sign, a miraculous message he needed in that moment. And God, in that moment, it, seemed, it seems that God kind of said yes and no at the same moment. Yes and no. What's God say? No, I'm not going to give you a sign or a miracle. I'm not going to give you a special message for those things about, about this girl or about your sin or about your job. I'm not going to give you the answers to the things that you, you're asking for. If that's what you want, tell you what, you get the sign of Jonah. You know why God brought Jeremy to Matthew 12, to this passage, to, to this message? Because Jesus loves Jeremy. In that moment, God was loving Jeremy. Because Jesus wanted to give Jeremy what he needed more than a sign, more than the answers about his life. He wanted Jeremy to find him, not answers. He knew Jeremy needed him. So how's the, how's the sign of Jonah going to do that? What, what is the sign of Jonah? Well, we're going to have to take a look here. Uh, verse 41, the, the men of Nineveh, Jesus says to the Pharisees, after you get the sign of Jonah. Jonah got swallowed by a whale, and he spent three days and three nights in that fish, good as dead, and then he came back up. So will the Son of Man go three days and three nights into the heart of the earth, and then he will come back up. And he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So if you go back and you read the fairly, it's really brief, the very brief book of Jonah in the Old Testament, it's only four chapters. You can read it in about 15, 20 minutes, all right? Even if you went to public school, you can read it. It's real fast, okay? I taught public school, so... Um, you're going to learn that this Jonah guy, he was, a, he was a prophet from the Old Testament times. He was a Jewish national hero. So you, you find it throughout reading the Bible that, that he was a prophet who God had used to save the Jews from a, from a wicked pagan foreign army. So he's big stuff. And, and, and you'll find in Jonah, God told this great man of God, this national hero, this well-known religious leader, this prophet who spoke the word of God from God, he told Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh. And tell them to turn from their false God and their sins and believe in the one true God. To love and obey that one true God and that one true God alone. Now, I don't have enough time to go really deep into all that that would have meant for Jonah. So I'll just, I'll just put it like this. That's like Jesus telling a, a great and well-known, tremendously gifted Christian leader from America. And, and just taking him aside, just going, listen, I, I want you to go to Mecca. I want you to travel to Mecca. I, I, I want you to go and walk right in to the Masjid al-Haram, which is where the, the, the Kaaba stands, the most 
sacred relic of Islam. It's in the center of Mecca. It's the most respected and venerated site in all of Islam. It's a place where only verified faithful Muslims are permitted to enter. So if you're, if you're Taiwanese and you convert to Islam, you will never be permitted in that city. You can't even enter the city. But I want you to go there, and I want you to, I want you to stroll right up to the Kaaba, and I want you to stand there, and I want you to tell your Muslim li- listeners, who, by the way, all are seething with a, a, offense and insult and anger over your presence, and they want to kill you. I want you to tell them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sin, lay aside their worship of Muhammad and their false god, Allah, and you tell them to repent, believe, receive forgiveness of sin, and follow Christ for surely, if they do not, my condemnation and vengeance and punishment will come for them. So what's your response? God comes and tells you that. that that's Jonah's response too, all right? So go, go read it. Jonah runs. God says, no, 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 get back here. No, no, I really don't. All right. Hey, Jaws, get over here. Do your work. Swallows him, gets him, takes him, spits him back out onto the beach near Nineveh. So God loved Jonah, and importantly, very importantly, he loved, who did he love? The Ninevites. He loved the Ninevites. They're they're pagans, they're filthy, they're ungodly. There's even implication historically and and, and biblically that they were like even child sacrificers. They were killing babies and children. And so He sends Jonah, and Jonah finally arrives in Nineveh, and Jonah preaches pretty much the least seeker-sensitive sermon ever. Go read it. It's like a sentence. Well, that's all we get. He walks for three days to the city. But all all the Bible records is like, hey, just in a few days, and God's going to kill all of you. And then Jonah goes outside of the city and and sits under a, a branch in some shade, just waiting, pops some popcorn, just waiting for hellfire, brimstone, and sulfur to fall down from God to toast, to toast these filthy, pagan, wicked, evildoers. Jonah's like a little racist, just a little bit. So he does tell them what God said. You have a few days before God restores your city and all your, pan, all your people and every living thing. You deserve it, but God's merciful and slow to anger, so repent. You've been looking for God, and you found a bunch of false gods, and God's really good and gracious. He wants you to find him. At best, that might have been the message that Jonah could have given. What's the end of the story? What's the end of the story of Jonah? They repent. The whole city repent. Everybody repents. Listen, they literally, here's what they do. They literally tear their clothing off in anguish, in fear and brokenhearted sadness. and sh- They rip their clothing and then they put on what's called sackcloth. Like, so they all go and they just riot. They raid all the tractor supplies in the area, right? And they go in and get all the chicken feed and, and, and they get all the, all the cow feed and they, and they dump it out of the bags and they just cut a hole in each side and one, and they just put that on and wear it just like, just like this sackcloth muumu, right? There's, oh, because it's all comfortable and itchy because that's, they, they, they feel terrible and they, they feel like they ought to feel terrible. They... They take ash from their fireplaces and they cover themselves in it. It's a symbol. It's a symbol. They're, they're telling one another and God that they know they're covered in their own sin. They're, bas- they're basically worth just ash because they know that that is what a man is and God might as well turn them into that. They lay aside, they lay, they lay aside their, their false gods. 
They fire their pagan fortune tellers. They close their temples, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray. They stop eating. They don't even eat food. They withhold food from themselves, and they pray and ask God with fear and brokenheartedness, please forgive us. Please forgive us. We know you now. We know. We know you now. We've offended you. You're God, the only one who's real. You're the one we've always needed, the one we should have wanted. And look at everything that we've done, all that we've worshipped, all that we've sinned in, the whole time blind, not getting it, and you were right there the whole time. Please forgive us, and don't just forgive us. Don't leave. Please forgive us and stay with us. Don't, Don't just not kill us, but be our God. Please have us. Let us belong to you. And they were saved. They were saved. By the way, if you read to the very, very end, Jonah isn't happy about it because he's, he's still pretty racist. By the way, Jonah's a believer. Jonah's a believer. By the, by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ, he has forgiven his sin. And all the Bible leaves us with at the end is that Jonah's still a racist. I just want you to consider that Jonah is sinful and wrong and out of step with the, with the word of God to be a racist. And he is a Christian. And Christ forgives his racism. Our hope and prayer is that at some point the Lord really gets inside of Jonah, outside of the Bible, and turns his heart to be in step with the image of God and all men. But he, he does belong to God. And he is a racist, and the Lord forgives him and doesn't approve of his racism. Just That's not even in my notes. I just wanted to point that out. We should, we should pray for Jonah or people like Jonah, right? But he's not happy because God saved them. He hates the Ninevites. It's not a good look for Jonah, but God loved Jonah too, so he didn't kill Jonah. Jonah deserved to be killed by God. God did not kill him. Who does Jesus say in this chapter, who does Jesus say stands up as a representational judgment on the Jewish people of Jesus' time? Who is going to stand? Who stands in judgment on the wicked and adulterous generation? Who is it? The men of Nineveh. The Ninevites. The Muslims, the religious terrorists, the, the whores and the drunks and the tax collectors, the abortion doctors. The homosexuals and the transsexuals and the pervert heterosexuals, the gross and unclean people, those people are going to stand in judgment on this wicked and perverse and adulterous generation. You know why? Because they're redeemed. Because they're redeemed. Because God, God, God does not look at the Ninevites as the perverts and the homosexuals and the transsexuals and the abortion doctors. He doesn't look at them as the terrorists or the whores and the drunks. He looks at them as his redeemed people. They repented. They, God came to them through the words of Jonah and the truth of the Lord entered their hearts and they repented and they, and they took God. They didn't repent of their sin. The Ninevites did not repent of their sin because God met... God etched a message into a cliff with lightning bolts. The Ninevites did not repent 
because Jonah was sent and called fire down from heaven and torched an altar. There was no miraculous sign or wonder, except for the miraculous sign of wonder of a raging racist being sent to them who hated them and wanted them to die, who still preached the gospel of God to them. That's a miracle. That's a sign. And it's the sign of God to sinners. Everyone gets this sign. The sign of Jonah. They repented and believed in God because a man who was covered in the digestive filth of a whale walked right into the city and told them who God was, that they were his enemies, that, they, that he ought to destroy them, but he wouldn't if they turn and love him rather than anything else. The Ninevites who'd been in bed, listen, they'd been in bed with every other God in the whole book. They'd been in bed with every other God. Other God. They are going to judge the religious Hebrews of this moment of Jesus in Matthew 12 because they were no longer adulterous. They divorced their gods and they accepted the marriage proposal of the one true God. They divorced their God. They broke up with their other gods. How are these Pharisees and religious Jewish people evil and adulterous? Because they want Jehovah and they want their sin. They want their religion and they want their sin. That's adultery. They want to have two wives. They want to have three wives. They want to be religious polygamists. Well, no, no, we worship the one God, Jehovah. No, nah, no. Nah. You, you, worship, you worship Israel as your nation? Your nation is a God that you worship. And you worship your own bloodline. You have the blood of Abraham. You, you're racist. You, you call the Samaritan filthy, a filthy dog. You, you, one of your false gods is your own sense of racial superiority, my Hebrew brothers. You, you love your money. You love your this. You, you have your own false gods. You're religious polygamists. That's why you're adulterous. The night that Jeremy prayed to God, he was in bed with false gods of sexual pleasure. He was in bed with the false god of alcohol. He was in bed with his own sense of control in life and destiny. He, his heart, just like yours and mine, it, is an idol factory, and he'd been cranking out gods to seek salvation and security and comfort and meaning from. He'd been trying to use those false gods to soothe him, to please him, to make his life better, and now, here's what he does. Jeremy, on that night, he'd come looking to use God and to use God's Bible for his needs. God, give me a sign. And God loved Jeremy that night. Oh, he loved him. No, Jeremy, I'm not giving you the answers that you're looking for. I'm not giving you a sign. I'll give you what you need most. I'll give you me. You get me. You need me, Jeremy. You need to love me. You need, me. You need to want me so much that you'd divorce and lose anything and everyone else. You'd give away all the treasure to have me as your treasure. So I'm not going to give you the answers that you want in order to get more poison and sin from these other gods. I'm not going to help you solve your problem with these gods to make these gods work better for you. No, no, no. I'm not going to, I love you enough to not give you what you want. What you want is killing you. Here, I'll give you me. I am the wellspring of living water. Come and have me. You get the sign of Jonah, which is the proclamation of the gospel. You deserve condemnation. You deserve hell. But if you'll have me as your God, 
You won't get the death you deserve. You'll get the life that I deserve as the Son of God. You'll share in that. So let's get some real simple application here. Number one, is it wrong to ask God for a sign? Is that the, is that the point? Hey, man, don't do that whole flop the Bible open thing. Don't ask God for a sign. Don't ask for a miracle. Is that what Pastor Matt is saying? I, I'll tell you what. Is it wrong? I'd say it depends. It depends. If Jesus Christ really is your God, if he is your Savior, capital S, if he is your Lord, if he is your Master, if he is your King, if he is your God, then you ask him. You ask him. You ask him for miraculous healing. You ask him for miraculous heart change. You ask him to come through even though it doesn't look like there's any possible way anything might come through or in time. You seek his wisdom. You seek the path of your life from him. You pray and you inquire. You need to fast, withhold fruit from yourself and pray. Open his scriptures and read and read and read and pray. You go to your Christian pastor. You go to Christian brothers and sisters in your church and you ask them to pray for you, with you, over you. You ask them to help you discern what the Lord wants you to do or be. And why is that okay? Why, how can that be okay? Why is it that you must ask God for a sign that you, he would speak to you in a special way or to come through and act in a special way or a meaningful way? Why? Because you're not a religious adulterer. If you only got one God and it's him, you're not in bed with another false God? Well, then you got the relationship See, I, I can't go to another man's wife and ask her for special things like, you know, shirtless back rubs. I got one person I can go and ask that for. I go to her, right? Because I'm not adulterous. I have one wife. I got one bride. You got one God? then it's your place, it's your privilege for her to come to me and ask for special things that only her husband should give to her and for me to go to her and give only things that only a wife gives to her, her husband. I, I, I can't go to Shannon and go, hey, you need me a back rub. Can we talk about the four affairs you, you're having with me behind my back or these other women you're flirting with? Right? That's not going to work. But if Jesus is your only God that you trust and follow him then you're not interested in what the internet's going to tell you. You don't really care what social media is going to tell you, what alcohol or substances or entertainment or physical pleasures can do for you. You've got one husband, you've got one God, and you're going to listen to him. You're going to trust him. You're going to obey him. Whatever he tells you, and you ask and you pray for him to talk to you and do meaningful, special things that you need. You take your desperation to him, the impossible thing. You take those to him. It is no sin. It's worship. Because it shows to him and you and anyone else who might know that you really do believe the unbelievable, that he's the only one who can handle your desperation and your need. I'll tell you this. It's wrong to ask God for a sign for a miracle if you just want to use him. If you don't have a relationship with him, you don't belong to him and he's not your God, 
if it's just useful to you, if you're, if you're just looking for another option to consider, Lord, I'm in a real mess, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I searched the internet, I talked to some legal counsel, and I got some friends, and I talked to people on social media, I got my Facebook fr- friends group, right, right? But I, I think I just, I just need more options to choose from before I pull the trigger on this thing. Uh, so I, I think, I, you know what? It's been a while. I, I need to go to church, right? These kids are a mess, and they're kind of a wreck. You know what? Uh, you know what, kids? It's Sunday morning. We're, we're, we haven't been in church in a long time. We gotta, come on, baby. We've got to get some Jesus mojo on these kids. Get them in front of the youth pastor. We need to get those kids to the youth group. Take them to VBS because they're wacky. We don't know. We'll get them with Kate and her volunteers, and they're just going to Jesus our kids up, and that'll fix them up. Because I need to get my kids right. I need my job to come through. I need the money to show up. I need my marriage to survive. And you do need those things. You do need those things. But God isn't interested in being your consultant. He's a king or he's not anything else. And because he loves you, he's not interested in helping you stay in bed with the things that you love and worship, like money or approval or power or control or your family, your spouse, or your kids. They can become false idols too. He wants you to have him. And if he's not your God, then whatever answer he gives you, he won't, you won't like it anyhow. You won't try because you don't trust him. You won't trust what he says. And he only te- he's only really interested in telling you the special things. He's only interested in telling that to people who trust him and who are going to obey and, and do what he says. He wants you to have him. And, if you, and even if he is your consultant, and even if he were to tell you or give to you, you'd still be just as lost and wretched and evil and, and, and adulterous as you were before because you still have all these other gods and you don't have him. Number two, let me tell you this. This is a confusing phrase, but I feel like the tension and the confusion of how I worded this is kind of catchy. I like it. So we're just gonna have to, I want you to chew on this one. Signs from God are given by God to people God loves enough to give them him. <laughs> all right? Signs from God are given by God to people God loves enough to give them him. You know what signs and wonders and miracles are for? What, what God uses them for? Like the sign gifts of like Holy, like Holy Spirit, like gifts like speaking in tongues or radical miraculous healings and stuff like that. You know what that's for? God uses them to bring people to belief in him. He uses those sorts of things to bring people into saving Faith to believe in him. That his miraculous power over the created world would then miraculously verify in that person's brand new born again heart that his words are verified and they they really do believe that he is God. He uses these sorts of things to build up and increase the faith of those who already love him. That's what signs and miracles and wonders are for. It's either to save the elect or to continue and keep the saved in their salvation. But they're not for entertainment. They're not, they're not for growing a church with spectacle. They're not for personal approval and building a platform for pastors or leaders who can accomplish these things. No, no, no. And there aren't for mere... There, God does not give signs and wonders and miracles. He does not give these special answers for mere usefulness in the life of people who want God to do something for them without wanting that God. 
So number three, the sign of Jonah given to Jeremy and to you from the scriptures, it is for your salvation. The sign of Jonah is for your salvation. That's what God wants you to have today. Some of you, many of you, all of you, you need answers. You need help. You need money. You need your spouse to return to you. You need your wayward child to return to you. You need healing and relief from sickness and pain. You need friendship and love. You really do need those things. But what you need most and what God wants to give you today from this word, in his word, from Jeremy and me behind Jeremy pushing, what, what God wants to give you is God in Christ to be merciful and kind and patient and saving of you. You need God. You need to have God. You need, to, you need God to have you. All the answers, all the money, all the relationship reconciliation, all the relationship reconciliation, all the broken friendships, all the broken family relationships, all the physical healing, you could get all of those and still walk into hell. You can end up in hell with a handsome husband. You can end up in hell with a beautiful wife. You can, end, you can walk up into hell with a full bank account, a satisfied belly, and obedient kids who make you proud and make you look good in front of the whole rest of the world. You can have healed and restored legs. And without Jesus as your one true God, your one true love, your one true greatest and highest need and desire, the one you depend on for anything and everything, then with healed legs, you're going to run and dance into hell. And that's your greatest need. And there's only one who can fulfill that need, and it's Jesus. So Jesus has come to you this morning from his scriptures, just like he did for Jeremy all those years ago, that one night to give you this sign, to give you this message. If you're here, if you're online, to give you this one message, which is the sign of Jonah, which is the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ is the king of the universe, God Almighty, and you are a sinner, a born rebel in open rebellion against him. You are a spiritual adulterer who loves and worships all these other gods. And Christ has come to you in his word saying, believe in me. See me on the cross, dying in the place you deserve to die, the way that you deserve to die. I want, you, I want you to see me covering all of your sin and your shame and your guilt and humiliation. I want you to see me covering that with my blood instead of your blood being spilled. It's mine. I want you to see that. I want you to see me in the hellish grave of death that you deserve to stay in forever. And I want you to see me conquering that death and grave, rising to a new life and guaranteeing you that same life if you belong to me. Come and have me of all your needs, of all that you might come to me for. Don't just get me as useful. Get me as beautiful. No matter what else in your life that is withheld or taken or given away, you'll always have me and you'll be secure. Jesus tells that wicked and adulterous generation 2,000 years ago, years ago, he tells them what he tells this generation now. This generation in this room. Something greater than Jonah is here now. That something greater 
is Jesus himself. Jesus is the, he's the greater Jonah. He says to religious American Christians, he says to those who are good, moral people who grew up in the church, their parents are Christians, their, kid, their kids go to VBS, they give money, they go to Bible studies. He warns the present generation of evil and adulterous people, even religious people like me and you. What you need is me, the greater Jonah. Jonah told the Ninevites about me. I'm greater than Jonah because I can talk about me as me. Repent of your sin. Lay aside your idols, your false gods. Get rid of all the other saviors and masters of your heart. Hate your sin. Hate your rebellion. Feel the, right, feel the rightful sorrow of your, over your love of other things and, 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 and people, the kind of love for those things that ought to be simply reserved for me. Repent of that. Turn away from that. And get me. Come to me. Have me. I'll have you. And all the wants, all the answers, all the desires, everything you need, it'll get taken care of. But to the, the present adulterous generation, the Lord Jesus gives us the sign. Who else is in my bed? In your heart. Is your politics? Is it your worldview? Is it your sense of ethnicity? Is it your movement? Is it your marriage? Is it your money? Things, all these things could be very good things, but when you put them in my place and they're in, in my spot in the bed, you've turned them into other gods. And all the answers, all the solutions, all the miracles, all the healings, all the fixing that you think you need and come to me, now I'm just useful to you. I'm not precious to you. Because you're, think, you're thinking you can come and say, I need your help, God. I love you too. There's no I love you too. He warns us. And he gives us an answer. You get the sign of Jonah. And all those answers, the miracles, the healing, all that. Tell you what. Jesus says in Matthew earlier, he says, listen, don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will put on. Because the Gentiles, the unbelievers, they all need those things too. They go seeking after those things. But your Father in heaven, God, he knows you need that stuff too. What kind of father do you think he is? He's a good one. He knows you need that stuff. But because you know you have a Father in heaven, you have one true God, Tell you what, seek first his, him and his kingdom. And all that other stuff, it'll be added to you. You'll get what you need. You need to seek him. Jeremy has God. God has Jeremy. He's got one God. And when false idols and false gods keep on trying to creep back up into his life, to try to slip right back in bed where only God belongs. The Holy Spirit of God in Jeremy continues to go, kick him out of bed and repent and turn back to the one true Lord. It's the sign. Some of you are looking for answers from the Lord. You're looking for the Lord to come through in a way, whether it's in a, 
I just need things to work out, and I could see how it could work out just normally, blah, blah, blah. I just don't know how, but Lord, please orchestrate things. Or maybe the kind of thing that you believe you need from the Lord that you're praying over, you're just like, there's no way. It's going to take a miracle. First question is not how are you going to get that from him, but who are you going to get it from? And it's God. And you get it in relationship with him, with him being your one God that you love. So, I'm going to end the sermon and move into communion. And just let me tell you how this, how I'd like to invite us to do this. I want to invite us to do something that, honestly, we've never done. And it's probably good that it's kind of like, you know, there's eight people in here. So, uh, we're going to take communion in a moment. And we're going to pray as we normally do. Uh, I want you to think about the work that you really need the Holy Spirit of God in response to this message, to do for you or in you or to you. If today, uh, in response, like you know that you, you need to enter in, into some confession and repentance with the Lord, and that's what you'll do today during communion. You bring your needs to the Lord, the sign, the miracle, the answer, the wisdom that you really do need You'll do that today during communion. You'll pray. And what I want to offer the opportunity is, it's a little weird for us, but um, there's nothing holy about our stage. It's just, it's just two by 12s in plywood with black paint on it. But I just want to offer the opportunity for us to just maybe get into a posture to help, to help us focus what, are, what we're doing in our heads and hearts. So when we do communion, you'll come up. We have the communion elements there and there and in the back on the sides as well. You'll, you'll come up and take those. And then if I want you to just feel free, be brave, feel free. If, if you come up and you can just kneel at the front of the stage or you can sit with your rear on the stage and just take your communion there and pray. Just pray and ask the Lord, now that you've been given the sign of Jonah, that the sign of Jonah, the gospel of God, which is, which is his word, would just perform the miracle that you most need, which is either new salvation or renewal of your salvation, or in faith that he would supply your need that you're praying for so desperately and you don't know how it's going to happen if he doesn't do it. I just want to urge you to feel free to do that. Um, and, and once I, I'm done with leading communion, you take it. I'm just going to stand right there. And, and Stuart McGinnis, one of our deacons, uh, he's just going to stand over there. If you want one of us, if you want to come up and talk to us briefly and just let us know how we can, we can just pray over you. And you don't even have to tell us exactly what the thing, you can just get, can you just pray for me? You don't even need to know, just pray for me. We'll do that too, all right? And if no one comes up to me and Stuart, that's okay. We won't feel awkward, right? We know that Lord is working with you, but I want to offer that to you. Communion is... And it's the sign of Jonah, Jesus Christ, who went into the, the heart of the earth for three days and three nights and was spat back up again to live and preach the miraculous gospel that saves and rescued sinners, Ninevites like us. That's what this communion is. It's the little wafer, the the body of Jesus is, that was crushed and just brutalized under the wrath of God and the red juice is the, that's the blood of Jesus that covers all of your sin and not just the account of your sin, but it, 
It just washes away your shame and humiliation and your guilt. It washes that away. This is for believers. This is for people who belong to Jesus. If you're not a believer, listen, if you're at home, please don't get any communion, communion elements. Don't, if you're here, don't come up and take it. Don't, don't get it. I, that we're trying to love you. We're, call, we're saying, hey, that, that's, this is a family meal, right? And, and if, you, if, you, if, if, Jesus, if you're not a Christian, if Jesus is not your God and he hasn't covered your, he hasn't taken your punishment and, and paid your sin, like, listen, then you're just taking this and you're just telling God, don't, don't worry, God, I, I don't need Jesus. I can, I can do this myself. And that's terrible. And it's dangerous. Please don't do that. We want to love you with that. But if you are a Christian, feel free to do that. If you're not, but then the Lord does something, you believe, you believe you really have become a Christian, I want you to come tell me, and then I can't wait for you to share communion with the family and do that and celebrate that. So let me pray for us. And then you can come and take communion. You can come up to the stage for prayer. Come see me or Stuart as well. You can worship the Lord and you're giving your offerings and tithes back at the back table there. Let's worship the Lord in prayer. Join me. Father God in heaven, thank you for the service that you've rendered to us. Our brother Jeremy, how has he said to us that he wouldn't trade any of the pain, any of the recovery, repentance, confession of sin, his trauma, his confusion, he wouldn't trade that he wouldn't give it up because he knows what you used it for. You used it for his salvation and his good. You gave him the sign of Jonah, which is the gospel. The God-man sent to enemy territory to us Ninevites. You caused us to repent. Lord, I ask that you would bring us to divorce our false gods and stick with our one true God. pray that you would move us to confess, to repent, to bring our needs before you here in the church auditorium today, that we would receive prayer, we would receive your Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sin, liberation, freedom, forgiveness, hope, and yes, Lord, the supply of our needs. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and because of him. Amen.